Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. The body has a form, but it doesn't know. The mind has no form, but it knows. And so, uh, here we are, this kind of, um, what I think of as the odd couple. I'll do this for me, for you, you do this for moi. It's kind of this dance all the time. Huh? Uh, so the mind encourages the body to do the qigong. The body does the qigong, the mind is refreshed. There is hunger, the mind takes care with intention, walks down, grabs plates and forks and stuff, and feeds the body, which in turn... Uh, keeps the mind going, the clarity of mind and the energy for the mind. This is supposed to be a very important uh, insight on the path, the insight into uh, materiality and mentality, this kind of dance. Maybe you, um, you have the insight at this point, um, like I do often, that uh, this odd couple could also be uh, called maybe... Um, the blind leading the paralytic, or something like this. <laughs> uh, the body is like, uh, all like kind of crippled, and then the mind is a little confused about what is what, and uh, they keep going along. <laughs> so the Buddha said uh, that um, the mind is naturally radiant and uh, luminous, clear. It's because of forces, uh, visiting forces, that we suffer torments of the mind. And in fact, uh, yeah, and and these torments of the mind uh, then uh, torments the body also, as we might uh, see tonight in the talk. So I'd like to talk about these forces uh, visiting the mind, heart, and body tonight. Uh, There's a group of five of them, little motley crew, maybe we could call them, (laughs) uh, that come and create havoc in our experience. Uh, They're a classic little list of uh, coming from the time of the Buddha of the five hindrances. We call them uh, hindrance because they hinder um, the capacity for the heart, mind, body to take care of itself and uh, take care of others. And hinders the capacity to see clearly what is going on, 
hinders a bunch of things. Hinders the capacity to um, develop, uh, cultivate and maintain calm and peace of both body and mind. Um, hinders um, the gladdening of the mind, the rejoicing of the mind, the ease of the mind. Uh, hinders insight, which is uh, so important in terms of finding, uh, finding um, what is misunderstood, what, what's, uh, uh, where's the confusion, and, um, and finding liberation also. The good news is the same hindrances to the path by the magic of this eightfold path can be turned into the path. And that's one thing that has um, fascinated me since the beginning of um, this practice for me is that the very uh, things that makes me suffer, body, mind, to make it very easy, uh, are also the tools to bring about the end of stress, dissatisfaction, uh, confusion, uh, misunderstanding. Yeah? To me, that's a twist that is, uh, I almost want to say, very sexy about this path. <laughs> How can it take what is in the way and turn it into what is the way? And so same for these hindrances. Maybe I should name them by now. Huh? Like the suspense has built up enough. <laughs> Not for the old students. The old students are like, oh my God, that list again. So the five are um, sense desire, um, aversion or resistance, you could say. Agitation, restlessness, worry. You recognize anything of what I'm mentioning now, up to now, familiar or unknown to you? Uh, and then uh, this one, the sloth and torpor, very funny little name. Um, and the last one being doubt. So these are the five uh, hindrances that we can learn to work with and uh, turn to our our advantage is a way, conventional way to put it, not very ultimate. It's not to our advantage, but to the advantage of uh, the end of uh, suffering, would be a way to put it. And so, uh, one way to do this is to uh, surprise, bring attention to the body, to the mindfulness of... Uh, material aspect of uh, experience, of this experience. Ananda, the assistant uh, and very good friend and cousin of uh, the Buddha, said that mindfulness of the body uh, is our best friend because it's always there for us, very uh, available all the time, because it doesn't lie yeah. And there's a third reason, and it's written somewhere in here. <laughs> oh, because it defends us from assault, uh, from the hindrances. 
And so one al analogy that is used, I think they might, I hope you like analogies and similes, because I think I'm going to really indulge tonight. Because <laughs> I, I personally love these. And it, uh, yeah, it can serve to brighten the mind because it's kind of exotic and colorful. And there's teaching in this. And uh, sometimes it's images that can uh, make us see uh, in a different way. So, uh, so this first uh, analogy is uh, of a uh, mindfulness of the body uh, compared to um, a bottle of water. And we would say that when uh, there's no mindfulness of the body, it's like if the bottle is empty of water. So there's a lot of space in it and Mara can come in the body-mind. Yeah? The form being the bottle and uh, being the, the, not being the, but, the form being the body and the space inside that has no form being the mind. So no mindfulness of body Mara comes in, Mara is the temptator, it, it represents all these in hindrances. So the hindrances can have easy access to uh, this container, mind-body. And when there is a mindfulness of body, when the body is suffused with attention, with presence, it's like the bottle being full of water, no place for Mara to come in. And this we can experience as we maybe do walking meditation. There is a real presence, sometimes for like two seconds, <laughs> sometimes for a little bit longer, where there's a real presence, interest, that the mindfulness is, is, is mixed. It's not impossible to, to untie this. It's, mind, it's interest, curiosity, kind of enthusiasm about what is this, what is this, maybe on an elemental level, or maybe on a mechanical level. Some people talked about like the raising the foot and the feeling the different parts of the... But there is mindfulness there on, on the process that is happening. And there is no thoughts about, I would want to be somewhere else, and uh, uh, maybe this practice is not for me, and, uh, and all these... Uh, manifestation of the hindrances don't come because the, the body is suffused uh, with mindfulness. Other analogies are, um, say, um, no mindfulness of body is like a rock that you throw in uh, wet clay. It goes uh, uh, right in. The hindrances being the rock goes right in the mind-body process. It's like the clay. There's no mindfulness there. As opposed to when there is mindfulness of body, it's like a ball of um, rubber or elastics that you throw against um, a door like this, a hard door. It just bumps back out. It just doesn't stick, doesn't come in, doesn't leave any trace. It just, uh, wink, it does that like this. Yeah? Okay, so I think I'm kind of selling you this mindfulness of body thing, no? Who wants some? <laughs> And uh, I'll continue with the analogies a little bit. <laughs> so these hindrances have uh, five um, analogies that are with, um, to do with the, um, water, with a body of water again, but more like a lake or a pond. And it's said that when there is this uh, desire is present 
uh, in the mind. It's like if there was lots of dyes, colorful dyes in the water, and we can't actually either see the bottom, that would be one thing, or see a diamond that would be there. It's not possible because we're like, oh, look at that, how the blue and indigo mix with the, I don't know the fancy names of colors in English, but the, you know, beach, sand, <laughs> color. And th there's no clarity in there. We're kind of uh, deluded by the, the play of uh, uh, ephemeral dye in the water. For aversion, resistance, ill will, it's like if the, butter, the, the water boy is boiling, yeah? So imagine, uh, maybe even further than this, because it's very an embodied experience when there is hatred or strong resistance. We feel it in the body. So it's not like looking at boiling water, but being in it, no? It's very hot, and we can experience it uh, as such. Now, the agitation is as if our body-mind was a pool of uh, water and there was really gutsy wind passing, so it's very um, floppy, very it's agitated, the surface of the water, not possible to see inside, like not possible to see inside boiling water or dying, dyed water, yeah? And then another analogy for... Um, a slot is, uh, and this one you can imagine yourself in the water and there's all this algae and seaweed wrapped around your eyes and ears and body and it's all like kind of murky, is that an English <laughs> word? <laughs> yeah? So you're kind of like, it's not possible to go forward, it's like you're kind of stuck in this gooey thing. It's very embodied. That's, that's how a, a slut is. You're like this, you know. Uh. <laughs> and then the last one, uh, he's in good shape. <laughs> and the last one is um, doubt. And doubt, the uh, image of the body of water, is uh, um, the mud is up. And it's not possible to see uh, where we're going, what is uh, uh, left and right and up and down. Very important if you want to take a breath, you know, to know what is up. Um, I have a whole other series. Uh, I'll pass. <laughs> so these hindrances, they make our experience uh, difficult. It's difficult to, they, they keep us from connecting with life. So that we experience these hindrances on the meditation cushion and doing the formal meditation. But these are the same that make our life miserable. They are, these are exactly the same that uh, makes us unsatisfied with life uh, in our daily life. This lack of energy to connect with what is happening, slut and torpor, this this agitation that makes us miss the moment, you know? Or this wanting something else, a little something else, to, the person in front of me to be a little different, to say something else than what they're saying, this desire for, for something else. Or this resistance, no, not that, either in 
fear or in, the, or in anger, the exploded form or the imploded form. Yeah. They're there in our lives too. And the doubt, the uncertainty, unable to do the next move, we find them in the subtlety of the experience on the cushion and on the more grosser level of uh, our interaction in the world. So they're difficult on an emotional level, they're, they're difficult to experience, but that's not the only thing. There is more to that. These five are rooted in the three kind of basic, they're an expression, a manifestation of the three basic um, wrong understanding or well, the, what is the synonym for, that we use these days for defilements? It's kind of, isn't it a little like Victorian people say? <laughs> we'll call them defilements. So there's these basic roots, latent tendencies of the mind, of greed and uh, hatred and confusion or delusion. Yeah? So they uh, become these five hindrances. And uh, so difficult to experience uh, in life emotionally. And also the other part that is very important is that they also distort our perception of what is going on. So it's very insidious. It's, uh, it's pre-verbal, pre-unconscious. It happens very fast. I'll read the little thing that I got here too. So they make reality appear a certain way. So it, it, it suggests us a reality that we take for like, oh, this is real. We don't see that there's like a veil, a coloring of perception. So for example, the confusion will make us, uh, will make us apprehend thing as permanent or as mine or me or not mine. And the desire, the greed will make things appear inherently beautiful. Yeah? So, um, I'd like to give an example too. Like, for a dog, seeing a bone, he sees the bone as beautiful, desirable, yeah? But it's not, a bone is not inherently beautiful and desirable. It's a perception of the mind. A bone is a bone. For us, it's actually, uh, it presents itself, especially if there's a lot of meat on it and goo again it will present itself as repulsive. This is repulsive. Get this out of there. It shows us a, it, as if it was an inherent reality that this was disgusting. So we're, we're going a, a little bit deeper here where what appears to me as real is actually a perception. So here is this little thing. The worldling or fool, this is us most of the time. Yeah? 
does not know this is happening. It's so fast. So she doesn't know her perception are distorted that the raw material is re remodeled by unwholesome inclinations of mind, that they are taken as reality, um, that they deceived, not realizing that she's deceived, she wrecked upon distorted perception, towers of judgments, values, conviction, beliefs, leading to suffering because not based on reality, on the true nature of how things are. So two things, the experience is difficult and the sight is blurred. So it makes me feel that this pain in the knee will truly last forever or that the bell will never actually ring. <laughs> you know, it really feels like this. And there's somewhere in there, there's a little bit of discernment that it's probably going to ring, but the experience is never going to ring. Yeah? And all different layers of this, much more subtle than that. So what to do with this predicament of the presence of the hindrances? Mindfulness, being aware of it. Bringing, uh, and the first thing would be to recognize it. That would be the first challenge because often it seems like the person sitting next to me is really annoying. And do you see the twist here that uh, Philip was talking yesterday about uh, sampajanya, the, the sati, this mindfulness come, has to come with some discernment. The discernment here in the context here is to bring things in terms of dhamma, in, in terms of what can actually liberate. So my thought that the person sitting next to me is a complete fact that they're annoying or that I'm a bad meditator is a complete fact. This has to be turned into Dhamma, into vision of Dhamma, into the, a bigger view, a Dhamma view, which is, oh, anger is present. Oh, doubt is present. It's not a fact that this practice is not for me or that I'm never going to be able to do this. The fact is that there is doubt present. So the recognition is the first uh, thing that needs to be done, very important, and sometimes extremely easy because it's right in your face, no? But sometimes it's much more subtle and hard uh, to do because it's either because it's subtle or because we're really caught in it. So I'll use um, an acronym here tonight that has been very useful for me in my practice. It's a, an acronym that presents basically what mindfulness is, what we do here anyway. Um, so the acronym is RAIN. It's from uh, one of our teacher uh, or colleagues, depending on your age. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Can you rewind? <laughs> and so Michelle McDonald uh, talks about RAIN, and it's very uh, kind of a tool that you can pick up when hindrances <laughs> arise. 
So this rain, the R is for recognition, to recognize what is going on. Oh, there's desire, there's this slight, and I heard that uh, even today on the interview, this slight wanting a little bit more of this, or this slight uh, going in the next moment, because the next moment might hold uh, the answer, or might the body might, the, the attention might drop a little deeper, and the, and the hindrance, what is hindering the clear and easeful experience of presence is this slight little twist in the mind that it's not this moment, but probably the next. Yeah. So to recognize this, oh, look at that, that's been going for a little while, this thing. I make it physical because sometimes we feel it as such, yeah? So recognize the A is for uh, um, accept or allow. Very, very important step in there, in this process of mindfulness. It's not possible to actually totally feel something that, um, uh, that we don't ac accept, that we don't accept the presence of. So accepting the presence that now there is resistance is a kind of acceptation. Accepting even non-acceptation. <laughs> oh, now I'm like, I'm really tied up, tight, you know, I, I don't like this situation. To really accept, oh, this is how it is right now. So there's a way to touch it instead of pushing, like Philip was showing, that could be a way to talk about, uh, bring back the images of yesterday. So if I fear something, oh no, not doubt, I hate doubt, or, or anything else, if I fear it, I'm going to hover maybe above it, like uh, with a trembling. It's not possible to know this experience. Yeah. And then the I stands for uh, interest, bringing curiosity to what is happening, this very wholesome quality uh, of mind, of interest, or sometimes we say investigation, the I would stand for that too. But that can be misleading, what is investigation. Sometimes we think, I have to think of where it comes from and analyze with thoughts, when this practice is extremely, and is extremely empirical, uh, direct experience, so the interest is the interest to touch, come close to. And in, this, in the case of this retreat, the investigation of the hindrances is going to be very, very body-based. So how does it feel like uh, this anger? or self-hatred. Where do I f feel it in the body? This is, this is the, the, not an easy step to do all the time, but that's really the invitation here, is to do this, to bring it down. Where do I l find this? Oh, it's in the chest area, it's in the throat, there's a contraction. And so where is it in the body? Also the intensity, the charge, can be known physically. Um, 
and the unpleasantness. These often are, are known as unpleasant, uh, these hindrances. Not always. Sometimes with the anger, there's a, it's very pleasant. I'm right. It feels great. You know, <laughs> the other is wrong. Like, and so to know that too. Oh, there's a, there's a, it's kind of pleasant. There's a, to know the gratification also of these or, or the sloth often is going to be experienced as pleasant. It's kind of a drifting. Not always. Sometimes it's like ah, gooey and heavy and, and, and it's experienced as unpleasant, but not always. So to really feel it uh, in the body, the f this feeling tone. And then the elemental nature of it. And that's like, a, now I'm going to kind of make a little parenthesis, maybe to touch on the elements for a little while, just a few minutes. Something that I found very interesting in the, 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 the theory around the, uh, the elements that you might uh, also find interesting. So the, at the beginning of uh, the talk, I, I talked about the materiality and mentality. So when we talk about the elements uh, as a symbol of earth, uh, air, um, water, or fire, or as the direct experience of them, the characteristics of these elements of pushing, pulling, moving, fluidity, hardness, softness, uh, smoothness, roughness, heaviness, lightness. These are how they're experienced. We don't experience earth, we experience pushing, pressure. Yeah. So these are the material side of this way of dividing this human experience of materiality and mentality. All these elements are the materiality aspect. How do they come about these little points of heat, of cold, of pressure that are added one behind the other so that I feel constant pressure, constant, uh, the tingling that doesn't stop is several million little points of uh, the elements appearing and disappearing. Where do they come from? It says that they come from four different places. Two places they come from other materiality and two places they come from uh, mentality. You'll, it's going to become clear in a minute. <laughs> Bear with me here. So when I eat food, it's obvious that the, the, what I experience of this body comes from food. We agree on this, no? It's, if there was no food at some point, and I'm already pretty thin, but if I was stop, stopping eating, I would actually disappear. There wouldn't be this, these elements, wouldn't be there anymore. It, and so it comes from food, nutriment, and it comes from fire, the digestion. The, the elements that are the, already there of fire process the food, and so I find myself having an experience of embodiment, of materiality. So these are two ways that they come. Very interesting. Two other ways that these experience of embodiment comes. One is, you could say, karma or intention. For example, I had the intention, as you, to be here. So now I'm experiencing this light. This, I come from uh, Quebec, north. I'm experiencing this heat, these elements of heat, because there was an intention to make it to California. This was mine stuff that bought the plane ticket. And, you know, 
So it's mind stuff that make you know, so you decide there's an intention to sit. Experience of pressure on the butt. You see? So the experience of the, the uh, elements that we have are produced by our intentions. They're also, and that's the point here that I'm getting to, <laughs> they're experienced, uh, they're, they come about through consciousness. So, and the coloring, consciousness and the coloring of the mind. So the mind knows and sometimes it's colored by resentment. Sometimes it's colored by gratitude. Do you see where I'm going with this? So when there is an experience of joy in the mind that comes from the mind, or gratitude, I realize suddenly that I'm very happy to be here. I'm very, what a chance, you know, I don't have to, um, let's say, put the social mask. I don't have to do this. I'm left alone to, with my own grieving process or solitude or and so I have gratitude for this and joy arises ah tingling or lightness shows up so this experience comes from the mind the coloring of the consciousness resentment uh, tightness arrives these are the elements I can feel them the tightness comes from what's in the mind I didn't like this that was said or this you know, and there's an opinion comes in and there's a, something that is mind stuff that comes in and I have a very much a bodily experience of it. The elements change, the body get tight, I fear something that is coming, I fear my interview coming, body gets tight. These are the elements, suddenly there's more earth element present. I come out of the interview and uh, some release happened possibly and I feel lighter because there is a sense of ease in the mind and suddenly the experience of this body is very different. Yeah. So in our investigation, I come back to the eye of interest, I can see this. This is my exploration of the body. When there is the, some uh, presence of some mind state that is difficult, I can see it, I can experience it in the body and see how this happens. Um, it goes as far as uh, after the Buddha's awakening, he was walking uh, uh, down the street and there's a man who saw him and he said, friend, the color of your skin is bright. He went to talk to him because there was something about his complexion. The even the element seen from the outside was somebody said, wow, you're glowing, man. What's In California, that's probably what you would have said. <laughs> wow, man, you're glowing. <laughs> What's going on, you know? And the answer was not kombucha. <laughs> the answer was not nutriments. The answer was mind stuff, the coloring of consciousness, this clarity in here. So that's why I'm glowing. Yeah. So we can see this, this. So this is the dance of the body and mind. So coloring of consciousness, experience of the elements change. Uh, and when we, have, uh, we sit here and we do calm the mind and calm the body, and then the body becomes uh, very tranquil, and out of this is born some kind of uh, a pity we call rapture or some... Uh, 
some kind of joy, spiritual joy. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll, uh, there's several kinds of them, but some is like lightness, so much lightness that you might start levitating. Yeah, that would be an explanation of it. That's why we put the windows here. <laughs> so you can have a view. So, fill your elements right now as you're laughing, if you are. <laughs> if you have a, like, this guy is a pain in the butt, you have different elements, uh, experience of elements, maybe. Yeah? <laughs> uh, I, I'm just thinking, it's not in my text. Franz has a lot of joy, and when we do Qigong with him, he's, he's kind of, there's a transmission of his joy often. And, and then I feel joyful, and my experience of the elements is very different. So, so I, I can blame it on the Qigong, but I can also blame it on France. So, so. Okay, so recognizing, allowing, accepting, yeah, the AI interest in the elemental nature of this experience of the hindrance. And then non-identification is for the N. So, here we could uh, think of um, maybe weather patterns. So, we understand really well that uh, uh, conditions make rain happen or heat happen. The conditions have to be right. So, it's the same thing in terms of the hindrances. When they come about, it's not my fault or somebody else's fault. It's because the conditions are right, and it's also not mine or me. Um, in the old days, they used to think in, uh, that there was um, the weather was the god of weather, and oh, he's really angry today. Uh, and so we people would think this, and for us, it's kind of naive. You know, we'd find it's cute. You know, like they really thought there was a a God and he was angry, it's just conditions coming together, yeah? Same here. It's a little naive from the point of view of an awakened being, somebody who has cleared all the confusion to think like, oh, they really think it's them who's like angry or that they're an angry person or that they're a fearful person. They're, they're kind of confused. It's kind of... Maybe an awakened being wouldn't think cute. They would, they, would, <laughs> they would feel compassion. They would say like, oh, there's a misunderstanding here. There's no one who owns this. It's, it doesn't mean it's not there. It's totally known. It's totally present. But there's no need to, uh, to own this in an unwholesome way. And that's for us to discover to what extent can go the not owning, not... Uh, I don't know if it's in English it works, this word appropriation. Yeah? Sometimes we, we do this, we kind of, somebody says the elements, like a moment of, uh, let's say this tightness in the troth, or people describe like some angst and like feeling something in the guts or in the heart area, some contraction. And so this is an element that can be known. The, uh, the contraction is the pushing of... Uh, you could think of it as earth uh, or as pushing of the, uh, the pressure of the uh, wind element. 
it's the elements anyway. And how can we own a moment of pressure that is gone and replaced by a, another moment of pressure, always gone, or the tingling? How can tingling be owned? It's gone all the time. It tingle and it's gone. Don't even have to say the goal and it's gone. It ting. Ting. <laughs> and it's gone. Somebody says, uh, there's a monk, I can't remember his name, but he said, this is public property. How can you own this heat radiating? It's already gone, it's radiating heat. It's not possible to own that. The Buddha, or, and I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but I think you would agree with moi. <laughs> No, it says, um, when uh, we feel, uh, for example, this here, the, the pressure here, the wise being will think, oh, this is the earth element, pressing, pressure, hardness, great hardness. This is the earth element. And he stops there. This is the wise being. The unwise being goes just a little further, and that's where dukkha comes in, where suffering comes in, where a stress that is extra comes in. He says, he says, oh, that, that's us. He says, oh yeah, the earth element. This is the earth element pressing. This is my earth element. And this is just a little part that is added that is this, per, this distortion of perception that it's mine that makes it uh, suffering or stressful. And so how can I release some of this in my practice and really recognize, oh, fear, there's all this electricity, uh, kind of fiery thing in my arms. Now I'm using my arms, I shouldn't, because there's a way we can use this conventionally, so you understand what I'm talking about. But the, there's not the misunderstanding that Oh, there is the presence, clear presence of fire here, or what I perceive as electricity. And it's clearly there and gone. And it's not possible to own it. And it can be known anyway. Anyway, I'm not doing such a great job on this, but <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, but that's a whole area of investigation. Let me put this out as a kind of koan that you can uh, explore for yourself. And uh, anything that I do wrong, Philip will correct uh, <laughs> a couple of days. <laughs> okay, so a few stories maybe about mindfulness of body and hindrances. I have to tell this little story. So one of my first retreats, I was sitting in the first uh, row there, and uh, in another center, but there anyway. <laughs> and uh, the, the Dharma talk was going on, and it seems like it was go actually going on and on and on. And it seemed like there was something with the sound, it was too loud, and I was getting, it, extremely worked up about it. Very, so I was sitting there and really like, 
fighting with it and lots of opinions about it and what about the sound system and this person and like everything was like there was no sampajanya the like the opportunity to use the experience for practice oh agitation uh, aversion strong aversion is present any elements that can be recognized here none of that there was just like opinions and it was out there and this was the reality of it and at some point i decided to leave the room because that was just too much for me so i stood up to leave the room but because there was no mindfulness of body i had not noticed that my legs were completely numb <laughs> so i stood out i stood up and it didn't last very long <laughs> Although my intention was really strong to get out, I fell right flat on my face like this. My whole body banged. And there was a little stage that was going like a little further. It was a red little stage. Maybe some of you will recognize uh, the location of this, like a red little stage from the 70s. And I had like a kind of a zoom. And I knocked my, uh, my, my chin on the stage. And it made this really big sound. <laughs> and then, um, and then the, the teacher said, the very compassionate being said, what is going on? <laughs> and I said, it's too loud. It's too loud. And this very compassionate being turned to the other, uh, the retreat and said, is it too loud? And everybody went like this. By that time of the story, I was crawling out of the hall, wanting to disappear, wanting to not exist. And so we can see how mindfulness of the body <laughs> and mindfulness of hindrances can help us avoid <laughs> further trouble. So as I'm talking about aversion and, uh, and uh, anger and all this, this um, resistance, resisting the moment or the fearing the moment, um, there's another thing that for me was very uh, uh, inspiring. Uh, I saw this uh, documentary called the Dharma Brothers, and maybe some of you have seen it. And there's a piece, and I hope I'm going to uh, bring this as I saw it, uh, as it, as it is in the, in the documentary. So this is happening, a documentary happening in a, a very high security pre prison in Alabama where there is murder apparently on a daily basis, so extremely dangerous environment. And uh, there's this man who talks, this uh, African-American uh, guy who talks about his practice and has been very devoted to his practice. And he says... Almost every day, I find myself in a situation of a very dangerous situation where I feel really high, high level of fear or high level of hatred and anger. And in both cases, 
uh, it's very dangerous for me because I can act very quickly on fear and put myself and others in dangers. And in the same uh, uh, case with anger or hatred, if it's extremely uh, strong, I, I could react, you know, do something instead of uh, use wisdom. And these hindrances, what they do is they remove any wisdom that is available. If there is wisdom available when we're in hindrances, it's gone until there's some kind of mindfulness that kicks in again. Uh, when uh, the mindfulness and sampajana, this discernment, will use any of the wisdom that is even the shaky wisdom, the not too sure wisdom, even the intellectual wisdom, will try to, will be able to have access to it and put it to use. Yeah? Do you see the difference of how they work? And so he says, he was saying in the documentary, I saw that what makes me act is actually the fact that the fear at the surface of the body or in the body, the felt sense of the fear is very unpleasant, actually unbearable. And it's because of the unbearableness of either the hatred or the fear that I lash out or that I make a move because it's hard to, uh, impossible to contain this. And with my practice, in this very dangerous environment, I learned to actually be able to sustain attention of these feelings that are extremely painful and unpleasant. And now I can keep a cool head so that when there is extreme fear, I can still see who's where in the room, what is the move that will assure survival and possibly survival for others also, something of that, you know, listen to trouble instead of adding to the confusion. That drives the point, no? So same uh, for us in our lives. Uh, the mindfulness of body can do that for us, make us capable <laughs> of actually uh, cycling through fear without panicking, feeling uh, possibly in the body, what is the heaviness maybe that comes with doubt, with uh, doubting oneself, with uh, uh, this heaviness that, that can come with that and feel this and say like, oh, this is how it feels right now. And take time to feel it and ease into an unpleasant experience until it passes, it cycles. So I'm going to also take a, another like kind of a turn into this talk here to talk a little bit about uh, because I'm in this area of aversion and resistance and uh, to touch maybe a few minutes to touch more on dukkha that uh, uh, Deborah taught. You see, the mind is this thing you would like it to behave in a certain way and it kind of fails you. <laughs> yeah, it does that. This is like what. Were you saying this realm is like just not behaving? <laughs> like it just doesn't do what you want. So this realm is this mind and this body. It's, uh, it doesn't always do what you want. So I wanted to like flow Deborah out and suddenly there was this gap. 
that came. Um, so I'd like. So Deborah talked about dukkha the other night, and uh, Philip made reference to it again. And I would like just to spend a few <coughs> minutes on it, uh, talking about three uh, kinds of dukkha, uh, because the yeah I think it could be of help to some of us here. So there's uh, the dukkha is this insatis it's this very wide range uh, of things. Okay, another story. I didn't see it coming. But <laughs> <laughs> so a few years ago, I went to see a theater show. And it was an English company called um, Forced Entertainment. And there's a, there are research. They do research theater. Like uh, uh, they explore different themes. So now they were uh, exploring uh, conventions. And they were exploring also the nature of entertainment. So at the beginning of the show, there's this woman who comes on stage and she says, We're, we have a great, by the way, the show last, was about four hours, kind of extremely boring. And it was kind of dragging. It was really forced entertainment. So this woman says, uh, we have a great show for you tonight. Please um, forget about all your troubles because we're going to entertain you and uh, just forget about, you know, like all the difficulties you have in life. Forget about, you know, like the traffic to come here and parking is really hard in this area. I know. Don't think about this. Don't, don't think about Also, cars are being stolen a lot in this neighborhood. <laughs> don't think about this. And, and okay, so everything concerning transportation and the mess and the, oh, the environment, let, let, don't think about this is huge stuff, you know, like the, uh, you know, the heat and don't think about the resources, you know, and the spilling of oil, and don't think about this, and, and, and also, like, making us sick. Don't, don't think about sickness. And then she was going on and on and on for 20 minutes <laughs> and naming everything medical, everything related to relationship, everything that is difficult, like... Being, uh, don't think about like you know these little moments in the elevator where you don't know people. It's a little too close and it's it's kind of short but uncomfortable. Don't think about this. And so, and I was sitting there thinking sh sh they have to be Buddhists, you know, to talk like so thoroughly about dukkha. But upon reflection, after I thought, wow, this 20 minute was only about dukkha dukkha, what, the first kind of dukkha, the dukkha that, of what is hard to bear, you know, the dukkha of, uh, of well, you got the picture by now, yeah? <laughs> so, so there's this kind of dukkha. There's another kind of dukkha that is more uh, subtle and harder to see, uh, and it's the, the anicca dukkha, the dukkha of impermanence. So it means that in this group of things, there were everything that is kind of unpleasant. And now, oh, it means we forgot everything that is pleasant. Let's bring everything that is pleasant also because it's going to pass. And so that even when we're enjoying it, sometimes there's this little stress that we can touch upon that my success could not last. You know, or the, the guys at work really are um, praising me these days. But God, you know, like uh, I have this feeling of like having made, you know, like, I barely got my things together to receive this praise, and it's very fragile. Or, you know, like we uh, are here, there's this uh, sense of calm, and suddenly then the mind comes, yeah, but, you know, and then so things pass. And in this way, even if we don't feel it in the moment, it means uh, it, it's going to end. And so there's the 
there's a dukkha that is in there. And that there's an even more subtle yet kind of dukkha that is called the Sankara dukkha. And that's something that we experience maybe here. That's why I wanted to get to this just to name it. This is the Sankara means condition. What is made of other things? And one of the things that is made of other things is us. We're made of elements, mind, uh, consciousness, and uh, qualities of mind. And we're made of, we depend on sun and food, and uh, uh, we depend on the support of others to come and sit. So the, the conditions needed for us to have our experience uh, is, is made of other things. So we're not separate. We're very much interdependent, yeah? So what is made of other stuff, uh, conditional to other things, it has a kind of dukkha to it. And the way we experience it a lot here this week is the dukkha of having a body that is a made-up thing. And so, and we say that this kind of dukkha of having a body is hidden by movement. So if there wasn't movement, we would, it would become very, very apparent. Movement means, on a gross level maybe, taking a soap and water and washing. There's movement involved in it. If there wasn't, we would start smelling very fast. And the dukkha of having a body would become very apparent. We have to exercise, move this body, because otherwise we would it would, it would become very difficult. And we see it, that's what we experience when we don't move. At some point, there's some pains that come that can be unbearable or just in the background. These are Sankara Dukkha, the Dukkha of being embodied, of having a body. Um, and we can have a lot of hindrances arise uh, due to these three levels of Dukkha. The desire for something not to go away or the desire to keep it going yeah? or the resistance to feeling boneness to feeling what it is to sit for some time and the, when the cells even at the cell level we, feel, we might feel this dukkha because this is things I've heard today in uh, in uh, an interview. So to really recognize this, ah, this might be Sankara Dukkha here, the Dukkha of having a body. That's why we work. So we uh, move and bring food to this movement. And we give this food so it doesn't feel hunger. Uh, and we, we also work to entertain, you know, rent a movie so there's some movement somewhere, you know, so I don't get to feel that all our life turns a lot about around moving this body. Because if we even lay down in the perfect lazy boy, after two hours, it's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah? Sankara Dukkha. So. So to finish, I would just say, remind you of rain, maybe. Recognize, accept, 
interest in the physical nature of uh, the difficulty that is arising, the hindrance, and then the non-identification. What does that mean for me? Um, and this Nibbana is this uh, radical uh, or total freedom independent of circumstances, independent of pleasant or unpleasant, of sankara dukkha or, or any kind of dukkha, a radical and total freedom. And so what we do here is already this, this deep acceptance of whatever shows up in our experience. And so we're kind of doing a fake it until you make it. That would be one way to talk about it. Or uh, feeling our way into uh, awakened embodiment. What it is to be okay, to let be, to let go uh, of what uh, is arising and passing. That's the best way I can finish this tonight. So let's take a moment to um, be embodied. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.